0: And I'm part of the pastoral team um, here, and I, uh, normally I, I do uh, have the opportunity of preaching on Sunday mornings. I'm actually not going to be preaching this morning. I was on vacation this last week uh, with, with my wife, and uh, we're just going to handle a couple things of business here before we jump into the Word. Uh, but it was actually pretty incredible. In the first service, uh, a gentleman who uh, was clearly uh, using some drugs came in the first service and interrupted the first service while John was preaching And I was sitting in the back, and I thought to myself, this is it. This is the day the pastor gets shot. And I'm not preaching. Praise the Lord. God is so good. And then um, I had to escort him out, and uh, everything's okay. Hey, no, but I am up here this morning uh, because our uh, children's directors, Abby uh, and Joe Casey, have a little baby girl that they want to dedicate this morning. And so... Uh, Joe, Abby, and uh, all of the kids, and all of the fami, family, uh, and Elena, uh, who I'll be dedicating this morning, if you guys all want to come up, and I'll just move this kind of out of the way here for a moment, and um, hopefully, Elena just passed out, so hopefully she'll let me hold her, no problems, and this is Ava. So... Um, You've got family members uh, of Joe and Abby up here, and and they all love the Lord and care about who Jesus is and the Word of God. And so what we do with baby dedications is uh, it's an opportunity for us to stand before you and, and first of all, pray uh, for this young baby that she will grow to know who Jesus is and, and to fall in love with the Bible and the Lord. And so what Joe and Abby are doing is they recognize that this doesn't ensure salvation for their child. But what it does is it allows them to stand before you as their family and to make a covenant with you, a promise with you, that they want to raise Elena according to the gospel and according to the word of Jesus Christ. And then they're also, in a sense, saying, hey, for you who are family for us, uh, we want you to hold them accountable too. It takes a village to raise a, a saint, if you will. And so for you, you're also covenanting and promising with them to help guide and direct uh, them as they parent as well. And so, uh, Joe and Abby, do you covenant with your church family here to raise Elena according to the gospel and according to the word of God? And family, would you, for those of you who, who want to covenant with them and, and be uh, prayerful behind them and part of their family in this regard, church family, would you covenant with Joe and Abby to raise Elena according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God? And the church said, yes. we do. Well, let me pray for her. Let me see if she'll... up way to go dad <laughs> <laughs> she looks like she's been drinking all night long. <laughs> well let's pray Lord um, as I hold this beautiful baby girl in my hands and just in awe of the way that you create and the way that you mold and shape Lord, that each person here was once a child and in your eyes they're still children and that, Lord, you you see us the way that we see this beautiful baby girl in my arms. And so we thank you for life. We thank you for the way that you view us in innocence. We thank you for loving us in spite of us. I pray for Joe and Abby that they, Lord, would, would walk with you closely and teach their children the word, especially Elena here. And for Elena, we pray, you soften her heart and guide her and lead her closer to you all the days of her life. May their home... Be filled with your love and be filled with the word and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Give her a hand. She did it. Good to see you. Okay. Um you don't know John Drollinger. John uh, <clears throat> moved here from uh, Southern California. He's a master's graduate of MacArthur School, uh, well-educated guy. He's a sales rep uh, for Marmot, and, and so if you ever see me wear Marmot stuff, there's a good chance John hooked me up with that. Uh, but um, he loves the Word, and he's one of our elders. He's on our elder team, and so he's one of the guys that holds me accountable and helps uh, guide and direct our church spiritually and we've got a lot of new people in the church who've been coming to faith, a lot of new people who haven't been baptized yet. Uh, and we've been talking about doing a message on baptism. And since I was gone this work, we thought this week. And as we get ready to go outside, we're gonna do some baptisms outside. I think we're scheduled probably second week uh, of June, second or third week of June. So if you haven't been baptized, this message is definitely for you. Uh, if you don't know what baptism is, you should tune into this for sure. Uh, the first service uh, said that it was a great message. I wasn't in the first service because I was dealing with the guy that wasn't going to shoot me. And um, and so, uh, would you please welcome one of our elders and leaders here at the church, John Drollinger.
1: Thank you, Jesse, and uh, God bless the Pastrels. That was really neat to see. Um, it actually sets up what we're going to talk about today really well. In some parts, with baptism. Um, No, we'll still do. I got to say some announcements. This message isn't starting yet. Michaela's got an announcement too. But um, yeah, just really, really neat to see um, the Pastrels and the faith being passed along through that family. Um, But yeah, like Jesse mentioned, we are heading back outdoors in a couple weeks, which opens the opportunity to do some baptisms out there. And so we just thought with all the new people in the church That this would be a good time, especially during all the closures of the past year. We've had a lot of new people come for the first time, and we just thought this would be a good kind of next step for those to take to learn more about our church. So um, whatever I don't get through today, Jesse will be teaching a class in coming weeks um, before main service, because we'll go from two services to one service when we go outside And um, I'll just leave it to him to clean up whatever mess I make today (laughs) on the subject of baptism. Um, Some other stuff going on. My wife and I are really involved in the high school ministry and high school camp is coming up as well as middle school camp. Um, Caleb, our youth pastor, has a ton of experience with these camps, and this is bound to be a great one. I've seen his schedule and the teachers and the games and activities, and camp was a huge part of my life. Um, it's where I first understood the gospel, so I'm a big believer in students going to camp. So. If you have a student age child that might be interested in that, make sure to sign up. There's so much fun stuff going on in the youth ministry here. A team just put on a prom Friday night, if you follow the Instagram. Um, You'll see some of those 90s-themed prom pictures since none of the local public schools were able to gather like that this year. We decided to do one here. and My son went and had a a good time. I, I don't think it was too awkward for him, (laughs) but okay, all right, good, you saw him, all right, (laughs) Um, so uh, and then Michaela Grant is here, she manages, her and her husband manage Foster the Sierra, so she's gonna um, share with you a little bit about their ministry and some opportunities with that.
2: Um, So yes, I'm Michaela Grant and my husband Russell Grant and we have three adopted children that we adopted out of the foster care system um, and God allowed us to move that into coming alongside other people that were fostering and adopting or curious about the process of fostering and adopting. So um, we started a group called Foster the Sierras and that group just comes alongside as a support group to an agency that is local that is the one who actually certifies families to adopt Um, we meet once a month for trainings and just to support each other in that time it's the last friday of every month Um, and anybody is always invited to come and check it out if you're curious what it means to foster uh, i'm happy to go out and grab coffee with you or my husband is as well and um, take the time or come to our meetups and meet with a bunch of foster families that are kind of doing the job and doing it in the midst of it. Um, We have been recognized through um, social workers all around and adoptions agencies that will send their families to this ministry, to this group, because they're recognizing that there is something when when you work together as a body. And we know that to be true. And it's cool that the world sees that differently. We have people that come from Reno because they haven't found community as they're going through their processes and we have people that are from this church and those that are not from this church. That is just a really cool place to be able to come together and uplift each other, support each other, and ultimately point each other to, to who God is. Um, so you are invited to that. We have child care those nights, and this is my plea. If you um, have any desire to help out with child care, it's 10 nights in the whole year out of 365 days um, to be able to help us out. We are looking specifically, maybe you're you're newly married and you think, oh, maybe that's how we'll grow our family. Come help us watch these kids while the adults have some time to really talk some of the nitty gritty. Or maybe you are an empty nester and you find yourself um, being able to offer that time up. Come talk to me afterwards. Um, we, some of the things that we're doing, we have the crafts that are here this morning. I think they're over here in this corner where they had the privilege of adopting their daughter, and now they have two little boys under the age of two that are a sibling set. One is just a couple weeks old, and um, they are getting to do what God has done for us, which is pull us out of that mire and to be able to give us life when maybe the world around us hasn't isn't giving us life and um, so I am thankful for them and we have the weed family who's here this morning who has a bunch of kids one of which is in a wheelchair and Foster the Sierra's has had the privilege because of you guys and your generosity um, to be able to come along and support them and we just are so blessed and thankful to even recently have a donor that said hey there's this chair that um, the weeds wanted for their son And it costs, you know, $4,000, and there's a donor that said, no, this is God's kid, this is God's money, this is where this goes. So you guys have the opportunity to partake financially. If you desire to, you can put it in the offering box with a note on it that says Foster the Sierras or FTS. Um, And I'll just give you the update of where we are. We've been, schools have been closed down. It's been a different sort of a world for kids lately. And um what we're kind of seeing in the world at large in calls for CPS is um, some gnarly stuff more gnarly than normal where you have kids that have multiple fractures that are going to the hospital um, because of abuse and you have kids that are in homes that um, have been with a parent who has committed suicide and they're not found for a day two or even three days after that parent has committed suicide and These kids, um, they need prayers. They need um, people to love on them and help take care of them through this trauma. And um, we know that if this is what we're seeing, that there's so much that's going on that isn't seen by authorities or or teachers or people that would be able to report some of these things. So please be praying for these kids that um, as they need help, they would be directed to people who would be able to help them. Anka has been an amazing support. Anka, are you here this morning? I didn't see her, but um, she has just been a gift to us. She has been our faithful sitter week in, week out, and she is transitioning to moving in the coming months. Um, and so, again, I plea for you if you. Feel that call in your life we need sitters on these friday nights ultimately you guys have the opportunity to be part of what god is doing through this ministry and all the ministries here and then i know god will be glorified through it and um, regardless of what we decide to do so thank you
1: thanks michaela uh, the grants are such a great couple and good friends to us and it's just amazing how much goes on here. I I pulled up this morning, I thought I was getting ready, and I got here about a little after 7.30 and thought it'd be early, and nope, the worship team's up here practicing, rehearsing, Um, just so much going on here all the time in so many ways. Um, So this morning I have the opportunity to share on the topic of baptism, like I said, Um, and I Jesse kind of put it out there, you can, you can keep going in Habakkuk or do baptism. And I was like, eh, baptism sounds easier. <laughs> and so I started studying, and it became quite the topic. And uh, I thought, ah, maybe I'll just do something on John the Baptist. And uh, I was studying about that, and it kind of led me into John 3 and uh, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus right in there about new birth, being born again. And I thought, oh, maybe the message will be more biographical. And then I thought, no, maybe it should be more practical. I ended up in First John looking at some of the signs of how to tell if you're truly born again or not. And I was talking to my wife yesterday, what should I do? And uh, I, I think we're going to just kind of shoot for all three. So you get <laughs> three for one today. Uh, well, I think um, this might be a little bit m- like climbing Mount Rainier, okay? I was a guide on Mount Rainier for A couple seasons years ago and Mount Rainier is a really unique mountain. Um, It's in a national park but if you if you climb the northeast side the Emmons you you start pretty low down in the rainforest and you're in shorts and a t-shirt and there's beautiful rivers and creeks and waterfalls and tons of lush greenery and then after a couple hours hiking through that you're kind of in this submarine sort of snow field really rocky kind of Uh, granite area and then volcanic and you keep moving up and suddenly by the time you're at or near the top it's all glacier and crevasses and you started in shorts and a t-shirt but now you're probably wearing four layers on top three on the bottom and there's all this otherworldly like um, it's a volcano so there's these uh, vents and fissures and you can climb down in them and there's frozen underground lakes and stuff and you're like, how was I, how is this the same mountain? <laughs> so that's, that's kind of my setup. If, if it feels disconnected at all, it is going to be the same mountain. I think we'll pull it together at the end, hopefully. But I will say, in the guiding community, we only had about 70% success rate <laughs> on summiting. So um, if we get turned around, or I have to pull the plug, because time's going long, and the children's workers get upset... Um, We may have to do that. So, if you got a bulletin, um, sorry to, it says Habakkuk on the front, but there might be an insert. Hopefully, you got a little insert. There's some fill in the blanks, just because we're gonna cover this. Uh, We'll talk. So we'll talk topically for a couple minutes on what is baptism. Then we'll look kind of biographically at um, new birth, um, being born again in the life of Nicodemus. And then if we have time, we'll look practically at some things in 1 John that help us kind of evaluate um, what being born again looks like and see if we should consider baptism. So let me pray and we'll, uh, we'll start our journey. Lord, thank you for this time this morning, um, for all the, the many ministries at this church that you've blessed and continue to bless, and just the health and vitality um, thank you for Lord's Days, Sundays, uh, the opportunity to gather and fellowship and worship and hear from you, and I pray that that would happen now as we open your word, your name, amen. By the way, are there, do you guys, do we need to hand out Bibles? Did you guys all, are we good? Okay, cool, thanks, Craig. Um, okay, so uh, if you take that first side, if you have the handout, we'll start on the baptism side and just kind of run through a couple quick points. Um, but there's quite a few different views on baptism out there um, within Christianity, uh, some different views. And um, before we get into some of the different views, I actually surveyed some of our leadership the other day, just the elders and deacons, and asked, hey, what's your baptism experience? Um, were, you, were you baptized once? Were you baptized then as an infant? Did you get baptized once and then again later? And... Um, between our elders and deacons, about half came back twice, where they said, "Yeah, I was actually baptized young, but I didn't quite understand it. And later, when I knew my faith was genuine, I decided again it was important to take that step of obedience and be baptized. Um, and so we kind of get this: first time it didn't, I didn't know what it meant. Second time later, once I knew what I, it meant, um, I did it again." Um, a few of, our, of the team said they were just baptized once as an adult. They came to faith later in life. And um, only one of the guys was uh, baptized young in a Catholic church, um, what you'd call infant baptism. Um, but he actually was, was also later baptized again. So you can see there's kind of probably some confusion in there. Uh, me personally, I was baptized twice, once uh, around fourth grade, and then again, as a, um, in college, around age 20. And the first time, I, I definitely didn't know what it meant. The church I was going to at the time, we used a pool of a nearby camp. Um, and it was kind of like, hey, would anyone like to be baptized today? And I just, I saw some friends doing it. And I thought, yeah, that sounds pretty neat to have my sins washed away. <laughs> And I just, I didn't quite understand. I thought there was maybe actual cleansing power in the water. And I, and so to the point where when the pastor baptized me, I came out, and I'm like, I wonder how long I can last without sinning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm perfect right now. I wonder how long I'll make it um, before I, like, get sin again. <laughs> and uh, and e- that misunderstanding was even to the point where as a young person, um, our church would also do baptisms on the back porch. Our friends had a jacuzzi. They would do uh, some baptisms there in their hot tub. And I thought, man, that hot tub must be disgusting. It's like full of half the sins of everyone in the church. <laughs> um, they're all getting their sins washed away. <laughs> so I was definitely confused. But later, like I said, I was saved at a, at a camp as a junior in high school. So camp's a big part of my testimony. And... Um, within a year or two after that felt like the first time it just wasn't genuine and I ought to take that step again and do uh, believer's baptism. So that's sort of just where kind of people are coming from, at least myself and our church. Um, Just theologically and in terms of tradition out there, there's about three different approaches. One is what we might call the christening view. Um, where it's a, it's a christening, and you might have heard that. This is kind of the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox tradition, and they, they believe in those circles that it actually confers grace, whether or not faith is even present, um, that it causes regeneration, um, and it washes away original sin, the sin that you're born with, so that kind of your heart and mind are in a spot where you could then maybe come to faith. Um, outside sidebar. Jesse mentioned the thing first service where we had an interruption. Uh, I think it was right here, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> I thought someone was already getting upset at my very first point. So <laughs> i not off to a good start, but um, it turned out to be totally unrelated to anything I was saying. So, and, and Jesse was like, oh, I'm glad it's not me up there, but... <laughs> I was going to take the bullet for Jesse if that was the case. But I was also glad that he was out there because Jesse's a man and was the first to respond and jump to his feet and sort of quell the situation. So he's, he's a good leader in that sense. Um, the second view would be what we hold to at Sierra Bible Church, um, which is believer's baptism, where baptism is more symbolic um, so it's, it's a symbol or a sign, an outward symbol of an internal reality. So it's where we believe that you know, salvation happens in the heart through faith and repentance and that baptism happens actually post-conversion, um, not pre-conversion. It doesn't get you ready to be saved. Rather, it's a follow-up after you have been saved um, it's a symbol of a transformation that has already happened. And that's um, what we hold non-denominational churches usually hold to believers' baptism, um, Calvary's Baptist churches, probably, which probably doesn't come as a surprise. Um, and then a third sort of approach to baptism is kind of a, a funny one, a little bit in the middle. This is what um, my Reformed and uh, Presbyterian churches practice, infant baptism. Um. And that's what they believe it's, it's a sign of inclusion in the new covenant community, similar to what circumcision was for the old covenant in the Old Testament. Um, just quoting from a popular Reformed teacher's website, that it's a way to claim the promises of reasonable hope that that child will receive someday a gift of faith um, so you guys actually have, uh, so, so we get the heart behind infant baptism. That's why we just did a dedication. And the, the beauty of the dedication is it still gets at the heart of infant baptism. Every parent, including my wife and I, want to see our children come to faith. And so everyone wants to do anything we can to try to help that along. Um, but what we don't need to do is like twist or sort of force the scriptures to make them say what we want to say. Um, so r- rather we just do the what we just did—a a dedication um, rather than just a baptism. So those are some of the different kind of approaches and meaning, meanings. And now we're into the first part of your little outline. And I just I just want to look at what the Bible says about this. And this first side will go pretty quick. Uh, but the first point there, um, what we believe the Bible teaches is, number one, that baptism is for believers. That baptism is for believers. And if you just take a plain reading of the New Testament and Acts and other verses, this, this is what you're going to walk away with. This is how you're going to understand baptism, is that it's for believers. So some verses there, Acts 2.41 says those who received his word were baptized. So they've received the word. They've heard and understood the gospel. Past tense, they they were baptized. Acts 10.47, can anyone prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So it's for people who have received the Spirit. 8.12, when they believed, emphasis that the belief comes first, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So that's, that's the order the Bible seems to teach on this topic. Second, baptism is necessary for believers. Okay, these words are very careful and specific. Baptism is necessary for believers. Uh, there's a command in Acts 2.38 to repent and be baptized. So it's actually a matter of obedience. Um, and if you're dragging your feet as a Christian or procrastinating here... Um, stop putting it off. Sign up for the class with Jesse and share your faith with the rest of us. Just be identified with the body of Christ in this way because um, it is necessary for believers. However, point three baptism is not necessary for salvation. Okay, necessary for believers, not necessary in order to become a believer. So, salvation is necessary. Um, baptism symbolizes salvation, but the act of baptism doesn't do anything in itself to save you, like how I misunderstood it as a, as a young child. Um, no works ever are. We see this clearly with the thief on the cross when he was hanging on Calvary next to Jesus, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise He wouldn't have had any time in there to be baptized or do anything for that matter except for believe in Jesus, and that faith alone was enough to save him. Um, So while it's necessary for believers as obedience, it's not necessarily necessary to become saved. Fourth, baptism, we believe, is by water immersion. There's some disagreement whether it's okay just to kind of sprinkle or dabble or um, dip into the water, but we think the full word picture that the Bible teaches is best displayed with water immersion because that symbolizes the death and burial and resurrection of Christ that we're participating along with his death, burial, and resurrection. So we believe it's by water immersion, and this partly too just comes from the meaning of the word to baptize in Greek baptizo just it just means to immerse <laughs> there's another word in greek that means sprinkle or dip and this isn't the one that's mostly used so it that's just it, it's it's what it means in fact, in fact in bible college we would sort of joke with our greek professor like on, going through the flashcards. cards to sprinkle and it's just it like it didn't it just doesn't mean that so um it was kind of a, a tease during school to say it that way um, So fifth, baptism is a symbol, is a symbol. Um, So if we get immersion right, we get the symbol right. Um, When you sprinkle, it sort of misses the metaphor. A couple things that it symbolizes are washing and renewal. Um, It symbolizes divine accomplishment, that God's doing the work. You, You can't do anything to be born physically. So the metaphor is great, like you did nothing to <laughs> enter your parents' womb. I mean, that was, that was your parents, it wasn't you doing that. Um, so you can't do anything for spiritual birth as well. That comes about with things outside yourself. It symbolizes death, burial, and resurrection. And it kind of even satisfies, or symbolizes satisfied wrath. Water is sometimes associated with wrath, like the flood waters with Noah and the ark. And so it symbolizes that we're no longer under God's wrath um, when we're immersed like that, but we're raised to new life. Six, baptism is one of two church ordinances. One of two. The other one that we regularly practice here is called communion uh, or the Lord's Supper, where we take just the little cracker and the wine or the juice. And um, that's also a symbol of, of our dependence on God for nutrition, um, for our health, for our sustenance, for daily bread. Um, And it's a reminder. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And that happens regularly. We practice it here once a month. Um, Some churches do it every week. But that means in a year, you'll have done it 12 times. Um, if you're a Christian for 10 years, maybe 120 times. <laughs> so that's more ongoing, frequent. If there's sin in your life, it doesn't mean that every time you sin, you need to be rebaptized. But the Lord's Supper helps with that reminder that, that of forgiveness of sin. It kind of points us back to our, our baptism. But baptism is typically once It more symbolizes justification, which is just our eternal salvation made right before God, which doesn't need to happen over and over again. Whereas um, communion more symbolizes sanctification, just that ongoing growth process that can kind of be up and down. And um, part of the believers, how we kind of deal with sin in our life symbolically. Seven, baptism is a first step in church membership. In church membership, it's a way to just say, "Hey, I'm with them. (laughs) I'm I'm part of this body. I I'm I'm part of the body of Christ." Um, It symbolizes our adoption, um, bringing brought into a community, into a family. Eight, Jesus was baptized. Jesus was baptized. That's a really interesting one because if baptism is a symbol of faith and repentance. How, why would Jesus who never sinned need to be baptized? And John, John the Baptist had this very same question, like, why would I need to be baptizing you? You're not having this conversion experience that baptism symbolizes. And Jesus says, no, no, it's, it's okay. We're going to do this. It's, it's necessary um, in order to fulfill all righteousness. And that is a really powerful thing we could spend a lot of time on. But what's amazing about the life of Christ is that he still did all these acts of obedience along the way. And then right after his baptism, he would go into the wilderness and be tempted in all ways as we are, but without sin, so that he could truly fulfill all righteousness and obedience that one day he would later gift to those who would believe in him, just storing up that perfect righteousness that, and make it available to us um, who can't have that on our own, that we could get it from him. Nine, Jesus instructed his disciples to be baptizers. Instructed his disciples to be baptizers. So uh, Matthew finishes with, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you see the book of Acts, and Jesus turns the apostles loose to go preach, Baptism is all throughout the book of Acts. So they were faithful in carrying out his command to be baptizers. Okay, so we're through the forest (laughs) on our way up Rainier. That's kind of part one, the topical part. So part two, we're going to kind of get above the tree line now and turn the corner. You can flip your little outline, and um, we're going to look at this um, more biographically. Um, in the life of Nicodemus. John chapter 3. Open there. You should be able to pretty much stay there uh, the rest of the morning. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. So, the reason we want to spend some time here, and if you're tracking, um, we teach that baptism is a symbol, meaning, it's not the main thing. It's a symbol of new birth. So it, it, would, it would be a waste of time if we only talked about the symbol and not the thing it stands for. So th- this is the meat of the message of conversion. Um, and, and what we mostly want to talk about is, is this rebirth process. So to illustrate what I'm getting at here, um, today is the closing day of the season at Squaw Valley. Um, I bumped into Brian over there. Yesterday, we were both there to get some last turns in for the season, and um, Squaw Valley has this great sign as you enter, you know, that valley with the Olympics, and the torch is still going, and you see the rings, and sometimes you'll see people parked there and taking pictures, Um, but what if someone came to Squaw and sort of checked out the sign, (laughs) took their pictures, and then they're like, sweet. We experienced squaw. Well, uh, let's go on to the next thing. Um, anybody that knows squaw and uh, has, has skied there or snowboarded or uh, maybe you've hiked there in the summertime, it's like, no, you, you got you to gotta go in. You can't just stop at the sign. You got to experience KT on a powder day and the views of Lake Tahoe from the top of um, Headwall or hike Shirley Canyon in the summertime. It's like, that's... That's going in and experiencing squaw. You can't just stop at the sign. So we're not going to stop just at the sign of baptism this morning, but we want to go in and look deeply at everything that it stands for. So what we're really going to see here in this section, and actually the title of this message is um, faith that sees, going from faith that sees to faith that saves. And you'll see in the passage where I pull that word, seize. But there's going to be a process here for Nicodemus, okay? It's not instantaneous um, being born again for everyone. It wasn't for me. Um, it, it, it might be progressive and take some time. Um, so we're going to go from faith that sees to faith that saves. You might even say from cognition to conversion. Um, shallow faith to saving faith. Okay, so let's, let's look at a couple things in this little passage, this amazing passage, that will help clarify this for us. First, uh, new birth, number one, if you're still tracking here, new birth is for anyone and everyone. That's chapter 3, verse 1. Actually, I, I need to read this. Let's read the passage to get it in our head, and then we'll, we'll, make, we'll come back through and make some observations. John 3, 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's kind of where that idea of seeing the kingdom is coming from. Verse 4, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be reborn? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. How can these things be? Okay, so let's go back through. Maybe we can help answer the question, how can these things be? So first, uh, new birth is for anyone and everyone. It's for the young, for the old mature or immature, for the intellectual or the non-intellectual, for the religious or irreligious. And to contrast the range that salvation is possible for, think here of Nicodemus. It says he's a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. This was the elite religious establishment of ancient Israel. He would, today we'd say he had his doctorate, highly educated, credentialed, and the teacher of, he was the teacher of teachers. So he, he taught the people who taught his experience, and he, he, he was that, uh, his resume was that strong. A ruler of the Jews. People saw him as one of the elite teachers in Israel. And he, in this passage, will come to Jesus. We'll see in a sec, he calls him rabbi, teacher, which is amazing. For the teacher of Israel to call Jesus the teacher and place himself as the student, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to contrast in Acts eight. There's an account, a baptism account of the Ethiopian uh, who comes to Jesus and says, "Hey, you know, understands the word. There's some water here. Could I get baptized?" And Ethiopia. I had to ask Siri, "How far is Ethiopia from Jerusalem?" It's like 1,800 miles. Okay, this is a totally different culture. Different language, different ethnic group, different education—probably no education. Um, but in the Bible, it says he makes it's for all tribes, all tongues, all nations, any ethnicity, any race, any gender, any economic status, any education level. Come, come. Now, it's not easy for everyone to come, but no matter what condition you're in, come. So, look at the condition Nicodemus came in. This is point two. New birth requires humility. Humility. To come to Jesus, you'll probably have to go through some self humbling. Nicodemus has to undergo the walk of shame right here. Watch this. This man came to him at night. That's an important little thing to note in the text that he came at night. So, he came in darkness, in shadows. Undercover, secretively. Why would he be coming at night? Probably in Nicodemus' case, because of the fear of man. Peer pressure. What others around him thought of him if he would be affiliated with Jesus. What's so bad about that? Jesus wasn't always someone that the religious establishment of Israel wanted to hang around. Jesus was known to be around Tax collectors, the IRS, <laughs> this is Jesus' friend group, prostitutes, lepers, sick people, and all those salty, smelly fishermen who never shower. I don't want to be seen with them. This was not the look for the teacher of Israel. Not only that, some of his colleagues, other Pharisees, were starting to say, Jesus gets his power from Satan, not from God. That what he's doing is evil. That saying he's the son of God is blasphemy, and they were saying only Satan would blaspheme. So if you're hanging around Jesus, you're hanging ar- your your friends. You're in community with Satan. So Nicodemus had to come at night because he feared their opinion of him. But he came. Okay, he came at night, but he came. That's great, no matter what condition you're in, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what peer pressure, family, career, politics, social status, finances, just come and work it out with Jesus as Nicodemus is doing, even if it means coming at night. A few chapters later, Jesus teaches that no one comes unless the Father draws him. So what we see here, even though Nicodemus' faith isn't saving faith yet, that that draw of the Father, that calling, sort of that magnetic pull is on his life. And I, I think that's why, like, when I was baptized young and it didn't mean anything, I, I, I'm not, I was going to say throw the baby out with the bathwater, but <laughs> that might be mixing metaphors too much. It, it, it's not something to totally discount because the Lord's working in your life. He's drawing you, calling you to himself, and he's doing a work there that at least you're, it's better to come at night or in whatever condition than to not come at all. Number three, new birth involves grappling with Jesus. Grappling with Jesus. There, there's a wrestling there that's very healthy. Get, come and get your questions answered. If, if you're not getting it, if things aren't clicking for you, if you've got all these questions and just need to come to a church leader or to the Bible or to a good podcast Bible teacher, come and get those questions answered like Nicodemus did. So it says, look, look how he comes. Um, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So Rabbi. Now that's a good thing, but it's also kind of obvious. Like everybody knew Jesus was or yeah, that Jesus was a teacher. Um so it's it's kind of like going up um I don't know, my head's still in like ski land, but I was thinking um like Michaela Schifrin was out here training a few weeks ago, one of the best World Cup racers. And if you went up and like, "You, Michaela Schifrin, are a skier." It's like Yeah, I mean, that just, you're not, that's so obvious. (laughs) We all know that about Michaela Schifrin, that she's a skier. It's like, Jesus, rabbi, teacher, it's like, okay, that's good, but it doesn't mean that he totally gets Jesus quite yet. Um, And it says, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Okay, the signs, the belief in the signs, the signs. Jesus was doing a lot of signs and miracles. Um, now, there's some context here that's going to help us understand a little bit what's going on. And unfortunately, there's a bad chapter break. <laughs> so the Bible is inerrant and inspired word of God, but the chapter and verses were added later for convenience. So this one here, unfortunately, got put in a bad spot. It probably would have been helpful if they started chapter 3, a few verses up at 2.23. So back up with me. We're going to read that really quick and see what's going on here with believing in the signs. 2.23, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. When they saw the signs. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So they were seeing the signs, um, the miracles, the, the the feedings, the miracles at Cana, and and this this is good. Okay, we're on the right path. They're they're coming. They're seeing Jesus work miracles, but seeing the signs Jesus did didn't necessarily mean their sin were being dealt with. Okay. It, and you've got to put yourself in their shoes. Um, you would believe the signs, too, if you had been at the wedding the week prior. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're at just a common person's wedding, and they bring out barrels and barrels of bottomless $10,000 French Bordeaux <laughs> at this amazing miracle at Cana at the wedding that this family could have never afforded. Um, also, the week prior, you see him... Completely cleanse the temple he just goes crazy on the swamp creatures <laughs> turning table just upending the political people who were profiting from the temple like they want to binge watch this stuff I mean this is their Netflix it doesn't get better for they 're ready for the next season I mean this is entertainment of their day <laughs> to see to see Jesus just go off on the Pharisees in the temple and Later they would these groupies, all these kind of followers at the fringe, would sort of be around him, and, oh man, those meals, <laughs> Those free handouts. Wow, did they love that stuff? Um, which is strategic, by the way. We uh, lead a middle school class second hour, here a lot of mornings, and having donuts really helps build that ministry with the middle schoolers. So don't totally discount food as a ministry strategy. But um, if they just came for the donuts and ignored everything else I said, I think I'd be a little disappointed. Um, So many believed when they saw the signs. And the way this sentence kind of unfolds is that um, Jesus did not entrust himself to them. And, And how you could actually say that is that he had no faith in their faith. This was not yet genuine converting faith. To see the signs, to understand him as a teacher, he had no faith in their faith. It wasn't genuine saving faith yet, but it was going the right direction. Number four, new earth can be instantaneous or progressive over time. I'm, I'm jealous of folks who have that experience like Paul just Going from knowing nothing and being against Jesus, even persecuting him, maybe an atheist, um, or just uh, you know just rampant sinfulness and all this stuff, and just instant conversion and life change—that um, is really neat to see testimonies like that. But it's not the testimonies we hear all the time. It's it's not everybody's conversion experience. Sometimes it takes time, and. This plays out in the next few verses. So verse 3, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, It sounds like he's going to say the same thing twice, but there's some difference if you look closely. Watch this. Verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, listen the second time. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, born of the Spirit, he adds that in the second time, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So the first time how he says it is, unless you're born again, you cannot see. Second time, born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter. So there's something mysterious in the way God works that I can't explain, but that happens, and I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about, even if we can't explain it, between just that process of first seeing and kind of knowing and believing in God, seeing the signs being drawn to him, to a saving faith that where you receive the gospel, understand it with clarity, you're filled with the Spirit, and genuinely converted, a new man, Old person is gone, new person has come, um, that something's going on there. So uh, these are <laughs> we do a Tuesday night class, some of the guys, um, where we do some theological studies. We'll get into this. <laughs> but for, the, for this morning, um, I want to try to teach it how Jesus teaches, which is with metaphors. So um, he, he mentions the parable in a few chapters of the soils and the seed. Right? The, soil, the parable of the soils. So I think this kind of first drawing phase is like, your heart is like soil. And there's the, the metaphor, the s- farmer scatters the seed, some fell on the path and it was trampled down, it didn't take root. Some fell in rocky soil, it kind of sprang up, but wasn't healthy, the birds snatched it away, some fell in soft soil, it took root grew and bear fruit, and it was strong and healthy. Uh, we, we planted a lawn last, last summer in our backyard, and we had to condition the soil and put the topsoil on there and all the sprinklers and the irrigation um, so that when the seed comes, it would be ready to receive that. Um, I think that's kind of what's going on here in this process. Um, is. is, is that's, that's sort of the word picture. And then another one we could lean into to explain this is just new, new birth, the birthing process. Um, there's a time there that's mysterious called pregnancy in physical birth. There, there is a time where it's a life, but there's still umbilical cord. He's not breathing air. It's alive, but he's not yet walking and breathing and eating on his own or her own in, in the womb. And so there's kind of something mysterious in there that that happens as we come to Christ. Um, And you see Nicodemus really getting confused here um, because he says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? So you see there, he's still stuck on the physical. He's not getting that it's a symbol, that it's spiritual rebirth that Jesus is talking about. He's stuck to his senses And he's not yet opening his heart totally up in faith to believe the gospel and the spirit. Five, new birth is mysterious. Um, And just two more after this. New birth is mysterious. Now, Jesus, again, the master teacher, (laughs) rabbi, the teacher, why people were so amazed at his teaching is because it was so clear And so easy to understand because he taught in parables, word pictures, illustrations. He made complex things simple and he does that in the most brilliant way right here. He explains the mystery with the metaphor of wind, verse 8 or 7. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Like here, let me, let me bring this down to where you're at, Nicodemus. Wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How, what a great illustration. When we feel its effects, we know it's real. If you're in the back, you, you see the cornices up on the ridges and what hard-driven snow can do to transform a landscape. Those of you... Lake surfers, <laughs> not too many, but <laughs> lake surfers, I mean, you can. the wind can really whip up on Tahoe. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but um, I mean, it's, it'll whip up enough to push a, a surfer into shore, um, but that's mysterious, and so Nicodemus is going from seeing the miracles to understanding forgiveness and salvation. Um, So the mystery as explained by the wind. Um, Five, or six, new birth requires clear comprehension and belief of the gospel. Clear comprehension and belief of the gospel. Now these last two points, depending on where you're at in your faith journey, are what's going to help you turn the corner. The gospel and repentance. Repentance. These are what we're really looking for in genuine salvation. Um, Clear comprehension and belief of the gospel. 3.16. John 3.16. Ever heard that one? (laughs) Did you know it's in the context of a conversation with Nicodemus right now? (laughs) That Nicodemus, with everything we've just been talking about, where he's at, that Jesus is going to give the most clear gospel explanation in the New Testament to this guy. All right? 316, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Every Awana kid in the room knows this verse. It is, that's the Bible in a nutshell, okay? You want to boil it down. That's the, everything the Old Testament leads up to, and the Gospels flow out from is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So when you repent and believe in Jesus, you won't perish because he already died in your place. So the punishment you deserve for your sin, Jesus took it for you on the cross. And then that righteousness that he earned through perfect obedience and his baptism and temptation He gives that to those who repent and believe, so there's a swap, an exchange, a trade-out, a transaction where his righteousness for your sinfulness, whoever believes in him will not perish because those who believe in him, he's already died in their place as a substitute and taken the penalty for their sin so that when God looks down at you, he sees Christ if you believed in him. So God treated Christ on the cross as if he lived your sinful life so that he could then treat you as if you lived Christ's perfect life. So the wrath toward your sin falls upon Christ. The blessing for Christ's perfect life of obedience falls upon you. You're welcome to enter into eternity with God, but enter. So this is the gospel, and this is what blows Nicodemus' mind. This awakens him. He's never understood this, and, and now it helps him understand that Jesus is going to die in his place because he's a sinner. The Pharisees had self-righteousness, but now he's exposed to his sin. And finally, number seven, new birth requires repentance from sin. So watch how Jesus closes out this masterful conversation in verse 19. 319, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Loved darkness. Nicodemus came at night. Nicodemus loved the darkness. He didn't want his sin to be exposed. He was afraid to stand out in front of those around him. Uh, 21, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So now Nicodemus is like, coming out into the light he's he's coming out of the darkness out of the shadows he's no longer a spiritual peeping tom lurking around the edges wondering what's going on inside here he's ready to enter and watch this john is such a good storyteller flip to seven um you gotta you gotta turn here with me and see this as we close up seven forty five. and john just weaves the nicodemus story in through this gospel so well of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who guided him to write this. But 745, 745. Um, And the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees, Nicodemus' group, who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. So what happened? The Pharisees sent some of their guys out, some of their, uh, uh, I don't know, bouncers or security guys. Get Jesus in here. We, we want to grill him. We, we've got some questions for him. And the guys go out and they hear Jesus and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. <laughs> we, we're not going to arrest him. They say no man ever spoke like this. We've never heard anything like this or seen anything like this. 47, then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? So condescending. Have any of the rulers of Pharisee, or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, this crowd of dum-dums, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. Verse 50. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously, love that little narrative note. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously, and who was was who was one of them. <laughs> That's a great gospel word. Was said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you, Nicodemus? Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Oh, Nicodemus is softening to this Jesus guy. Uh-oh, he's, he's about to jump ships. He's, he's going to, to, to Jesus' side. You're not one of them too, are you? Now now Nicodemus is starting to go on the record. This is no longer uh, him at night coming in the shadows. This is him in broad daylight, probably with a scribe, with his little typewriter pen, recording everything in that conversation. This is public and for the record. Nicodemus is distancing himself from these guys. And watch how it ends, 1939. Man, this is right, <laughs> yeah Shane, <laughs> this is right after um, Jesus passion, his suffering, John 19, 39. Nicodemus, parentheses, who had previously come to him at night, there's your little connector back to John 3, same guy. Nicodemus came right after Jesus had died, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. So, (laughs) This is total sold-out devotion to Christ. This is a hundred percent participation in the gospel. This is Friday afternoon of the crucifixion, in broad daylight in front of everyone, going straight to the dead body of Christ on the cross, asking the Romans permission, "Can we take him down for a proper burial?" They would have probably been like, "Sure." They would have just let him there, hang the crow's peck at him, eat the flesh, and then they probably would have left him out in a ditch to rot, because he was crucified with criminals. But Nicodemus is like, no way, not happening to my Lord. Where I'm, I, I, I want to give him a proper burial, and you see this. Did you see the thing, a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes? This is heavy. Uh, he, this is so much wealth. This is everything he probably has to Im- to, to treat Jesus' wounds, give him a proper burial. You see this with the wise men at the nativity bringing their myrrh and aloes as a sign of devotion. You see this with Mary Magdalene when she took her expensive perfume and wiped Jesus' feet with it as a sign of devotion. And here you see it just after the cross where, Mary, where Nicodemus is bringing all those same things and just saying, this is my Lord. I'm going on the record. <laughs> I'm no longer part of that Pharisee group that I used to be a part of. I understand the gospel now. It's time for me to enter in. And this is his, this is his new tribe. This is his new Lord, his new master. He is born again. Th- this is new birth. This is miraculous. This is, this is the result of, of new birth, a, a transformed life. And yes, all the way along, he was being called, that Jesus was drawing him in. The magnets were pulling. He saw something there but he's moved from seeing Jesus to to being saved. This is cognition to conversion, the the superficial and shallow to the authentic. So if that's you, you need to get baptized. (laughs) If you're still on the way, um, keep coming, keep seeking, keep pursuing. Um, But if you're there, we want to hear about it. Share your faith, go on the record, come out with it say this church is my church and Christ is my Lord and do what Nicodemus did. Whether it's instantaneous like Paul or over time like him, it doesn't matter. But once the gospel and the spirit are part of your life, um, baptism is the symbol of that. So we went a little long. Children will be upset. But you made the top of Mount Rainier. So let's go away happy. (laughs) Lord, thanks so much for this amazing, amazing passage. Thanks for your crystal clarity that um, comes out in this passage. As we sing now, thanks for Brad and the team, but may these truths that we sing be right from our heart and worship you. Amen.
2: Let's stand together as we proclaim this last song, that we've been bought back, that our sin has been completely erased. And it's a joyful song, so feel free to put your hands together as well.
1: And I don't want you guys to sing out of tune, so I gotta make sure. <laughs> 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 oh. Sorry guys. You know a joke or anything?
2: Not on the spot. What happens
1: when
0: two cannonballs
1: get married? What is it? <laughs> two cannonballs get married. All right, that's good. That's good. I'll, I'll share my uh, my kindergarten jokes later. <laughs> Let's go, but.
2: week there's some snacks and fellowship outside but we will see you next week